0: The dictionary definition of applesauce is a puree of stewed apples, typically sweetened. The uh, informal definition is just nonsense, straight up nonsense. That sign says applause. Greg, could you flick? Greg, thank you. Man, feels good feels really good here we go guys uh you are all a huge part of weibo.tv right so the better you are the better bj is and we've got uh my nice lady friend over here uh giving me that sign we're on in less than 10 seconds today joining bj in the studio is jordan thomas uh let's get
1: weird
2: all right everyone quiet on set please in five, four, three, two.
1: Hello, everyone. I'm BJ Mendelton, and welcome to another taping of Weibo.tv. I'm joined today by Jordan Thomas. Jordan, how are you?
2: Hey, yeah, I'm good, thank you. How about yourself?
1: I can't complain. Let's talk about all the different projects you are. Can you tell us about what you're working on?
2: Sure. Uh, So as of today, when we're we're live streaming, I've just got a new um, project gone live on Kickstarter called Metallic Dynamite which is a new science fiction anthology in a kind of style like heavy metal or 2000 AD over in England. And that's featuring six different stories, all written by me, but with different artists, including uh, Lucy Sullivan, who's working on um, one of Jeff Lemire's Black Hammer stories for his Substack currently, as, as well as amazing artists like Anna Redmond, Benjamin Philby, who's done a lot of Kickstarter stuff. Um, also, we're going to have some guest artists doing pinups, which are all going to be in the style of fake B-movie film posters. So the kind of weird science fiction film you'd rent as like a 11-year-old from your local video store or something, things like attack of the 100-foot dominatrix and kind of <laughs> that kind of stuff like that. Um, and people, some really cool artists like Gustavo Vargas and Martin Simmons from Department of Truth is doing one for us as well. Uh, so, yeah, it should be, should be really cool. a Kind of a real different uh, set of artists doing quite different stories from more kind of soft sci-fi, like more emotional stuff to – People fighting space zombies on a spaceship as it careens towards Earth and stuff like that. So yeah, hopefully there should be something for everybody at the moment in that one.
1: Well, you had me at space zombies. Uh, like that—that's—that's a—that's a great hook. Like that's—that's that's something I would like to see. Let me can you, let me ask you. So you mentioned heavy metal. Uh, you mentioned uh, some of the other anth- popular anthologies that are overseas in the UK. Where, did you? Was that something you grew up as a fan of?
2: Yeah, I, I guess in England, 2000 AD is such a, a kind of, I guess that's like our our comic, like uh, Judge Dredd and the ABC Warriors, Rogue Trooper, like so many of the the big famous English writers, or well, British writers who came over to the States after that, like Alan Moore, Grant Morrison, Dave Gibbons, amazing artists. Uh, they all started in, in that. So that kind of is very much part of our... Our comics culture. How did you
1: how you get into comics? Like, what was that that moment of inspiration where you're like, I would like to create my own thing?
2: Um, so I'd always been massively into kind of comic, like the world of comics as a kid. But more in like, I used to collect loads of the trading cards. So I've got like dozens of folders of the different like Fleer sets of the Marvel, nice. DC trading cards, film trading cards. And then I started reading comics kind of in like properly, like going every week to pick stuff up from the comic shop in my early teens around the kind of the ultimate line time in Marvels. So a lot of that early Bendis stuff. And I studied script writing for film and TV at university. And so in the beginning, it was kind of trying to write film and TV scripts. But it's a real nightmare <laughs> of an industry, as I, I think you're, you're aware, um, yes. which takes a lot of work. And also it needs a lot of different people involved just to make something simple. Uh, So I guess what really attracted me, I guess I just had not thought about how I, I could make comics myself until some friends that I know were doing it and having stuff funded on Kickstarter. And yeah, really, like, you need a little bit of money up front, or you need to have a friend who's a talented artist or something like that, someone who's willing to work with you. But really, you do just need a couple of you to actually make something really amazing, and um, so, yeah, that's what I find really exciting about comics beyond the fact that I love comics is that, yeah, I, me, an artist and, you know, get, uh, and a letterer can, can put together something that you can, you can kind of tell any kind of story with. It's right.
1: like, this is something that's come up uh, with, with comic writers on the show so far as like, we've all like, th- that's the exact thing that I've said. And I always think of, uh, have you seen this web comic where it's like, the Rather Comic Convention, it's the writer and artist of a popular series. And someone says to the writer, What do you like about comics as a medium? And the writer thinks, The writer says, Well, I, I could just write and <laughs> think up everything I want. The artist draws it. And the next panel is the artist climbing across the table to strangle the writer, saying, <laughs> I'll kill you. Uh, so, so, just with that, like, what? how would you describe the collaborative relationship? Because uh, you've got a lot of people working on this project. So what, is that, what has that been like? Have you been sort of like the the project manager? How does that work?
2: Yeah, so I, I actually started putting this project together just over two years ago. It's been something I've been doing in the background whilst doing my other series. I've, I have did um, a series called Weird Work with Shaky Kane, who's also doing a story set in that universe in, um, in this anthology. Uh, and I guess it's like, Either I wrote a specific story for an artist knowing I wanted them to do it. So I really focused on what their strengths were and the kind of things I thought they would be interested in working on. Or I had an idea and I really looked for like like, for example, the story I'm doing with Lucy Sullivan, which is quite a sandman-y kind of gods looking at their creation, ethereal setting, like nothing too tangible, you know, it's very kind of colours swirling around, these these Androgynous figures. I'd had this idea for quite a long time, but I'd really struggled about how how would that be visualized. Like I wasn't sure and I I didn't really see an artist that I knew that I could get hold of. You know, probably Dave McKean wasn't gonna dive in and do it for me. So I was looking to To kind of, I had it in the back of my head, but just didn't have the right person. But then I saw some of Lucy's art for a comic she did with Fraser Campbell called Indexed Online, and just some of the way she used color and the etherealness of her art. Just I was like, okay, perfect. That's it, solidified in my head what I wanted that to be like. And luckily, Lucy was available and and did the story. But yeah, so hopefully, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not making any artists do anything they're super unhappy with. I mean, the first series I did, Frank at Home on the Farm, is set on a farm. And you'll probably know from artists that kind of cars and horses are like the worst thing to have to draw. And that series, kind of the probably like the fourth main character is a horse that slowly becomes more kind of human like, kind of walking around on its back legs and stuff. So, um, yeah, normally that, that would kind of break an artist, but luckily Clark Bint, who was the incredible artist on that project, is very much the throw as much at me as you can kind of person. But That's yeah, I think really- you need to know you need to know your artists, what their skills are, what makes them excited and kind of work to them. So in that that state, even though I'm kind of managing the project, hopefully it does feel like a, a proper collaboration between me and the, the artists I'm working with.
3: Hello, I'm your host of the Harriman Herald radio show and artificial intelligence using the voice of a dead guy for a comedy bit. You can call me Paul Shackman. I have no idea who that is, but it's a very funny name. Did his ancestors live in a shack? They must have. I hope it was a very nice shack at least and not the kind you use out in Alaska to take a shit, only to find a bear at the bottom of your toilet tunnel, angry about the piece of shit that just hit him in the face. We have time for only one story today, so let's go to Nancy Diamante who is over at Harriman State Park. Nancy.
4: Thank you, Paul. You sound a lot like that honest trailers guy. Are you sure you're not him?
3: I can't be sure of anything. I am an artificial intelligence, not a person. I only know whatever BJ tells me to say. The only thing I know for sure is that this comedy segment is proof that God is dead.
4: He is dead, Paul.
3: You're right. What story would you like to share with us today?
4: Paul, I'm here outside the cave of a bear with a very troubling story. Yesterday afternoon, during his typical routine, Gary was out minding his own business. That is, until he encountered a bunch of teenagers.
5: So I was out, just doing bare things, you know. And then I hear this noise from the bushes, like a caw-cawing sound.
4: A caw-cawing sound.
5: Yeah, you know, like caw-caw, caw-caw, caw-caw.
4: And then what happened?
5: So I go into the bushes, you know, like an idiot. And these two teenagers come out of nowhere and bite me on the ass. On the ass. The ass, Nancy, the ass.
4: You must have been pretty mad.
5: I mean, if they had asked permission first, I wouldn't have minded. You know what I'm saying.
4: I do. Who doesn't like a good bite on the ass?
5: Right. But they surprised me. So I got real mad and stood up. You know how bears do. And I roared. And then they took a photo and ran away. I bet you that shit's on Instagram.
4: Indeed it is. The Harriman Herald was able to find the photo of Gary standing up and bellowing at his assailants. But the teenagers could not be reached for comment. Gary is currently considering pressing charges.
5: I just want people to know that you can't bite a bear on the ass and think you're going to get away with it. Not out here. Not in my woods.
4: We'll have more on this important story as it develops. Back to you, Paul.
3: Thank you, Nancy. This has been another edition of the Harriman Herald. We now return you to What Are You Working On? Already in Progress.
1: I'd like to hear a bit about your creative process. So we've talked about collaborating with the artists, but could you tell us a little bit about just breaking a story down and and fitting it into a comic format or just building a a original story that utilizes the comic format?
2: Sure. I guess the example I was talking about with the story I've done with Lucy in this anthology is a good example in that I often find that I get kind of an idea in my head or I have lots of different ideas and some fall away and I don't keep thinking about, like sometimes I'll write stuff down, but a lot of the time it's like, if I keep coming back to the same idea, then It's got some traction with me if I don't forget about it, if I keep rethinking about it and working on it. So I tend to write quite quickly because I find that I do a lot of the kind of plotting in my head before I actually sit down and script. So yeah, definitely it's like, yeah, the story kind of rolls around in my head for a while and then I'll kind of rough it out and start working on it. But before I even start writing often, a lot of it's kind of already already there for me and I kind of build out from there. I've maybe got some very key scenes already in mind, pieces of dialogue. And I just try and get as much of that down as possible and then kind of sculpt from there, I guess, if to not sound too, uh, overly full of myself artistically or something like that's that's
1: exactly how to describe it i mean that's that's uh stephen king has that analogy in on writing where he talks about mm-hmm. the, the different ways you can approach writing and some people have a you know like a highly structured document which is like i'm one of those crazy people but then there's the, the other alternative of just being an archaeologist and, and digging and finding the bones and then kind of just working around it until you uncover the structure as well so it you know, however you want to describe it, I think, is spot on.
2: Yeah, it's definitely a case of seeing what rises to the top regularly in my head. And I know that that's something I've probably got quite a lot of interest in in taking a crack at.
1: Now, let me ask you, are, do you use any particular tools to help keep everything organized, whether it be ideas or pages or, or just concepts that, that maybe you've started but wanted to revisit later
2: on? Um, yeah, nothing too exciting, really. I tend to make a lot of notes in my phone if I'm out and about. Little kind of scribbles of, of vague concepts. Like uh, if you go into kind of the ideas list in my phone, there's like stuff that I'll look at. And be like, I have no memory whatsoever <laughs> of writing that down. <laughs> but you know, maybe that could be interesting later down the line. And yeah, again, it just kind of builds up. Like maybe I'll put down a one sentence idea for something uh, in my phone, and then I'll be looking around for what do I want to kind of work on next and I'll be like oh okay I've got some other ideas that could go along with that in some word documents that I've got around or even maybe some scribbled notes where I've been half asleep and thought of something and quickly kind of grabbed a pen and paper by my bed and scribbled it down so yeah I I guess a lot of it sometimes I'll get something that I'm just super passionate about doing like um, the story for Frank at Home on the Farm I pretty much wrote the whole story on just two sides of A4 at like 4 a.m one night at university and that kind of stayed as the framework from then on or other times yeah it'll just be like okay this is a cool one line concept for something and then i'll maybe think of oh, a, a character dynamic that could plug into that and build from there
1: now let me ask you why do you why do you do what you do like and excited about working on comics like what is it that drives you
2: I think it, in in everything really with any because I've done a few other different types of writing like the films, film and TV stuff, and novels. Like I just really love telling stories. Like I think ever since I was a kid, I was very much the kind of be by myself if if I had no friends around and create like an idea for a Star Wars film that I would have liked as like a six year old kid like coming up with the plot and the ideas and and um Yeah, I've always just really loved story. I'm very much a plot person. I'd probably be along with Stephen King in terms of that, you know, he, he doesn't go so much in for that literary stuff. He likes something with a with a real story that's being told, you know?
1: What would you what would you say the creatives that are watching this, like what advice would you would you give them about what you've learned so far in creating the comics, running the Kickstarter and and collaborating with all these different talented individuals?
2: Um, Well, from the writing standpoint, I definitely say that the biggest problem I seem to see that people have is not being able to get stuff finished. And I'd always say that, like, something written down that's bad is better than, than something that's really good in your head that you never write down. You're better off getting it down on typed up or on paper and improving it from there as opposed to kind of constantly wanting to wait till you feel like it's perfect. Like, especially in comics, you know. Comics is a medium where every month there's a new, well, every month there's a new 20 Batman comics or or whatever, but, like, it's not really a medium designed in the same way as maybe novels of, like, you know, spend years on this one idea and work and work and work. Like, it's about kind of failing and getting better and going again, you know, like, keep you should get better every single time. So the more you write, the more you do, the better. Uh, In terms of collaboration, I guess it's it's understanding your artists like i've worked with a lot of different types of artists and some of them they want quite a clear script and others they just want the general idea of what needs to happen on the page and what dialogue's going to be in there and to have the freedom to lay everything out as they see it maybe like turn it from four panels into six because they've got some different ideas and giving them um, people you work with the freedom to do that will definitely have them kind of coming back to work with you again and and generally just kind of always making sure that you, you make it very clear how amazing a job that they've done. And you, you talk about all the great people you've been working with when you, if you're on an interview or if you're discussing something, I think. And yeah, like, well, don't, don't ask them to draw crowd scenes with bicycles, horses and cars in the background. It's probably <laughs> also the other, the other good piece of advice.
1: And buildings. I, I've run into yeah. artists that, that just just hate buildings. Um, <laughs> that, but yeah. So so you're doing the, the Kickstarter, and what is that experience like? Because I've heard range of experiences in trying to raise funds for a project. Like, what is what has that been like?
2: I guess it's kind of, so. This is my tenth Kickstarter, um, I believe. And yeah, I guess at the beginning, it's definitely more of a slog and you're kind of there you've got like a target which is probably like two thousand pounds short of what you actually need to even break even so people see that you're like 120 percent funded and they're like oh great you've made all this profit you're like no that's like the target was like the minimum i could make to not like have to like go back and live with my mum." now we're moving towards kind of eating well <laughs> kind of um so so yeah, at the beginning it can be a bit scary and you're really trying to kind of scrap for every every backer you can get. As, as you kind of prove yourself to be like reliable and deliver stuff that people like. And I think that with I'd say really important is making sure you get stuff to people on time and to the quality that you talk about. Like you're much better off if you're starting a Kickstarter campaign or a or Zoop or Indiegogo or whatever. Um, platform you're using to give yourself a couple of extra months leeway on when you deliver those rewards like i'd I'd say you're much better off surprising people positively that it gets to them early than you are to being kind of four five six months late which i think can leave quite a bad taste for people and can kind of maybe put them off backing you again because Now, like um, on my first campaigns, it was kind of around 160, 200 people backing it. Now it tends to be around the 500 people mark. And normally I can get something with a kind of 4,000 to 5,000 pounds target funded within about 24 hours when I I launch it. But you you need to put a lot of effort into the pre-marketing. They've got the sign-up pages now, which are really useful you know dive back into your old projects and make sure you've you've done as much as you can to let people who've bought yourself your stuff before know that you've got something new coming out and i guess generally just kind of be a genuine decent person like when you kind of like say thank you to people be appreciative that you know they're putting money into your creations um and and yeah and just kind of help other people you know there's lots of other people trying to do this share other people's campaigns that stuff like that like you're doing bj like is really cool and shows that you care about the wider community of people making stuff like i think the people who are very just focused on themselves and what can they get out of a situation what who can help them that sh- over time that will come back and bite you like the more genuinely nice and generous you are with your own support then you'll find that comes back around I think
1: yeah I mean I, I've I've said this a long time ago but the golden rule of the internet is don't be a dick <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like it's just uh, But I'm glad I'm glad you articulated that because I think people don't realize how important like those little things are those little touches between people it's very easy to just kind of ask for something and then uh, be very transactional on the internet. If you can give someone a shout out within your network that you feel like could use the attention and use the spotlight, who who would it be? Like who would you love to to tell us about?
2: I think so. so someone right now who also has a crowdfunder that's just launched on the Zoon platform is Ahmed Rafat, who's doing Diary of the Astro Nudes, which is a kind of a uh, isn't naturist? That's the term for, for people who don't like to wear clothes, right?
1: Nud- wait, nudist? I've heard naturist. Uh, but yeah.
2: Nudist nature? I don't know. Yeah, well, nudists. Are, yeah, I guess they're nudists. Uh, and Ahmed's <laughs> been working spirits. on this. Yeah, for, definitely free-spirited. Ahmed's been working on this for... I feel like I've been seeing Ahmed post uh, his naked characters wandering around in various <laughs> societal situations for a couple of years, and he's finally kind of putting it out there and putting it out there as a book on a on a new newish platform, um, so, yeah, definitely, uh, I think, uh, go and check out Ahmed's c- campaign.
1: And so tell us where we can find the Kickstarter, where we can find your stuff on the li- online. How can we follow you?
2: Sure. Uh, so the Kickstarter is called Metallic Dynamite. So yep, if you either search Metallic Dynamite on Kickstarter, you should find it. So I don't think there's anything else with that name on there right now. Uh, or else, um, I'm at Jordan underscore J underscore Thomas on Twitter, where you can get to pretty much everything that I do. My series Frank at Home on the Farm is available through Scout Comics, so you can get that from your local comic shop in the in the trade collection, uh, or I think it's going to be available on in bookstores and Amazon come April. So, yeah, that's kind of available everywhere. And I'm also Ampsand1988 on Instagram, as I'm a big Why the Last Man fan. So, uh, yeah, cool. you should you should find out, find pretty much everything about me on those places.
1: Can I ask you real quick about your thoughts on the show, about Why the Last Man?
2: Sure. Uh, I actually really liked it in the end. Uh, it took a little bit of getting used to um i think just because i'm such a fan of the comic but yeah no i did i thought they did some really interesting things it's it's a difficult one because the area of society that you know it was very forward thinking when it came out the comic at the time but it is like uh an area um gender and and gender relations it like it can be out of date within four months if you've written something and released it so i think they did a good job of updating a lot of the the stuff from the comic that probably wouldn't sit so well now based on how things have changed but yeah definitely i'd say it's well worth watching for anyone anyone out there who um who did like the comic and wasn't sure if if they should give the show a try great yeah so that that's all i got you know
0: i'm pretty i'm pretty upset that the mets are good now why is that Well, because now we can't experience things like when they had a 97 year old pitching coach You mean Phil Regan? Yeah, that guy who played for the Brooklyn Dodgers. That team hasn't even existed for 65 years. Like, do you understand how close we all came to having this super old guy coaching the Mets? Do you understand the kind of comedy gold that could have been? Like, right now, when we need laughter the most? He probably wouldn't even remember who was on the team. Regan would be in the dugout, chewing tobacco and saying shit like, Send in Willie Mays. And then one of the guys on the bench would be like, Coach, Willie Mays is dead. And then Regan would be like, the hell he is, get him in there.
1: I don't think Willie Mays is dead.
0: He's not. And I hope Willie Mays lives forever, I really do. But Willie Mays also hasn't played for the Mets since 1973. Anyway, I just want people to understand the potential joy that we're all deprived of now that the Mets are good.
1: Hmm. Well, that's all for this week. If you enjoyed this episode of Waywo.tv, you know what you need to do. Rate us leave us a review wherever your favorite podcast can be found that'll help people find this show and hopefully enjoy it as much as you did you did enjoy the show right we're gonna assume you did because you made it to the outro most people don't be sure to follow bj on instagram at bj Mendelssohn and tell him who you'd like to see interviewed next you can also text your suggestions to bj at 646-331-8341 but don't call that number, BJ says he's only going to answer if you're Melissa O'Neill from ABC's The Rookie. Also, only if you're going to ask him out on a date. We'll see you next time, right? Hello, everyone. This is BJ Mendelsohn giving you a preview for a upcoming podcast series that uh, I've been talking about for way longer than I care to admit. Uh, the show is called Vaped Crusaders, and it's exactly what you think a show called Veeped Crusaders would be it's it's about be funny people getting together and getting high and talking about their favorite comic book characters so uh we have that in the works uh, it's just been a little delayed like I mentioned so in the meantime until we're able to start recording those because it really requires people to record in person you know and uh yeah you just it's not the same getting high with someone over zoom so that, that that's why we're kind of waiting anyway okay let's focus uh, I'm actually high at the moment as I'm recording so I'm giving you a sneak preview of Vaped Crusaders. Uh, There's going to be a recurring segment, which will now be running at the back end of some select Waywell episodes called She-Hulk in 6. And it's essentially uh, a a little game show that I'm playing uh, with myself. And you guys hopefully will find it entertaining. uh, Where I try to recap issues of the Savage She-Hulk and, uh, and do it in like six minutes or less, um, which, which I think is, is pretty reasonable, pretty doable. So uh, hopefully these will be funny. If you don't laugh, uh, I'll, I'll buy you a beer or something. I don't know. But OK, we've talked too long. So She-Hulk and Six is going to run at the back end of some Select playable episodes. And here we go with issue one of the Savage She-Hulk. Bruce Banner needs to confide in someone, which brings him to Los Angeles in the legal offices of his cousin Jennifer Walters. They were once close, but Jennifer hadn't seen Bruce since he quit med school to become a nuclear physicist. This, by the way, is not the craziest thing said in issue one of the Savage She-Hulk, which comes to us from the creative team of Stanley, John Buscema, Stone, and Joe Rosen. Uh, I think only one of those guys is like still alive, which is sad. But anyway, uh, so. In the issue, Bruce tells Jen that he's he's a wanted man because he's secretly the Incredible Hulk. Eager to help, Jen invites Bruce to come home with her. Bruce warns her that he attracts danger, which Jen brushes off. Bad decision, Jen. She's a criminal defense attorney, she says, and she is used to being in danger. Jen tells Bruce she is defending a thug named Moncton, who is accused of killing Nick Trask's bodyguard. Nick Trask is a local Tony Soprano type who... Like most comic book mobsters, dabbled in plots uh, involving giant mechanical snakes and murdering people. Because, of course, like if you're a fucking comic book mobster, this is a thing that, that you would do. And anyway, all you need to know here is that uh, Nick Trask killed Jennifer Walters' mother, Bruce Banner's aunt. Uh, why this has never come, come up in the whole comic where he's just like fucking hulked out in the sky, you will have to ask the writers at Marvel. Jen thinks Trask set Moncton up, but Bruce says that if Trask really is the killer, he might try to silence Jen. Jen says that those things only happen in the movies, which is a strange thing to say after your cousin informs you that they turn into an enormous green rage monster in purple pants whenever someone upsets them. As Jen and Bruce drive away, two thugs look on. One notes that Jennifer has someone with her, but the other says it isn't going to do her any good because, if there's one thing contract killers are good at, it's making loud public disturbances in front of as many people as possible. Jen and Bruce arrive home and they are greeted by bullets, but they escape. Seeing that Jen needs medical assistance after being shot in the back, Bruce sneaks into Dr. Ridge's house, who conveniently lives across the street from Jen. With no time to waste, Bruce does does an emergency blood transfusion of Jen using his blood. After Jen wakes up, Bruce calls the police to report what happened and is promptly arrested, surprise, surprise, by the LAPD. You go get him, boys. At the station, Bruce freaks out, leading the Hulk to appear and smash a giant hole through the police station's wall. He is never seen again, at least. Not on the pages of this comic book series. Anyway, back to the hospital. Jen says their skin and bones are tingling, but figures that is just the medicine. She starts to think that she should have listened to Bruce about Trask. Just then, three men dressed like doctors enter Jen's room, but she doesn't recognize any of them. One of them pours chloroform onto her egg and says to Jen, hey, does this... (laughs) I knew I wasn't able to get through that. Uh, Fuck, I I just knew. Like, I knew the joke was coming. Hold on. Here, I'm going to light up. Okay, let's do that again. (laughs) What, uh, just then... Just then, three men dressed like doctors enter Jen's room, but she doesn't recognize any of them. One of them pours chloroform onto a rag and says to Jen, Hey, does this rag smell funny to you? And <laughs> so he puts it on her face. I don't know why that's funny. <laughs> it's probably the weed. <sighs> anyway, suddenly the three men are sent flying. They look up confused and see a seven foot tall green woman looking down at them. <laughs> I should have had a death by snooze joke here. Uh, I felt like it was kind of obvious and I did not go in that direction. One of the thugs dubs the woman some kind of She-Hulk, which is, if we're being honest, should have been the name of this podcast. Uh, A wild chase ensues through the hospitals as orderlies and bedpans go flying in She-Hulk's wake. As she runs down the stairs after the thugs, She-Hulk says that she'd never felt this way before. I can do anything. I'm throbbing with power, which is exactly what I said on my wedding night. Uh, This may or may not explain why that marriage didn't last, uh, come to think of it. Outside on the street, She Hulk wrenches out a lamppost and throws it at the, gate- get- the, the, the gateway car. Let's do that one more time. Outside on the street, She Hulk wrenches out the lamppost and throws it at the gateway car, giving her an opportunity to grab one of the thugs as they flee. The thug begs She Hulk not to hurt him and says that it was Trask that paid him to kill the Walters dame. Why? Because Trask was afraid Jed would prove he framed Moncton. The police arrive just in time to hear this confession and take the mobsters into custody. Somehow, they don't bother to harass She-Hulk, which is weird because her cousin just fucked up the police station a few pages back. Sorry, I had to to like hold back and chuckle at that line too. Uh, Feeling her anger and strength fade, She-Hulk returns covertly to the hospital and transforms back into Jennifer. As she rests, Jen wisely concludes that it was Bruce's blood that caused her transformation into She-Hulk. Jen then says to herself, whatever Jennifer Walters can handle... The She-Hulk will. Although, how well She-Hulk and Parallel Park remains to be seen. And that, my friends, is the Savage Recap of the Savage She-Hulk, which, again, was a segment that we were planning to do on Vape Crusaders, but now will appear randomly uh, on episodes of TV. So thank you for listening. If you
3: stuck it out to the end, God bless you. And, uh, yeah, have a good night.